if they're working in your organization and, and you care about them, they're only going to be a better worker, a more loyal worker uh, for your organization if you can show how much you care. As we've been doing a lot more work at One Huddle in the nonprofit space, I bumped into our next guest, Ian Adair. On top of being a three-time nonprofit CEO, Ian was the Senior Program Manager for Diversity and Inclusion at T-Mobile. He's been recognized nationally and internationally for his work. In 2016, Ian was chosen as one of the top 100 must-follow giving influencers on Twitter by Give Local America. 2019, he was named one of the top 100 charity industry influencers on social media. And he was recognized as one of the 30 nonprofit founders that will impact the world in 2020 by Cause Artist, a global community and social enterprise platform. His experience is tremendous across the category, and we're excited to talk to him. Ian's also the author of Stronger Than Stigma, a call to action, stories of grief, loss, and inspiration. In this conversation with Ian, I wanted to talk to him a little bit about not just the nonprofit space, in the category as a whole, because as we think about workforce, being connected to the nonprofit community is becoming more and more important, not just for finding new talent, but for connecting with our community as a whole. But also Ian's done a tremendous amount of work around mental health. Knowing that it's Mental Health Awareness Month here in May gave me a little bit of extra reason to talk to Ian, not just about his perspectives on employee engagement, the state of the workforce and culture, which are all stuff Ian covers for companies, but also how this is impacted by mental health and the challenges around programming for mental health for companies today. So with that, here's Ian and Dare. Now, let's bring it in. I guess, why nonprofits for you? You know, I think I was I was one of those kids that just grew up with a, a number of challenges, like like so many do today. But I let that kind of guide me for what I wanted to do, kind of post getting out of that those circumstances. So, you know, I'm very open and, and honest about my background. My, my father was a drug addict. Uh, we moved from town to town. He also, <laughs> at the same time, still was able to provide for us because he had a good, he had a good job. But when he left when I was young, you know, it was just my mother who was sick uh, and battling mental illness and, and my brother who had battled a lot of mental health challenges as well. So I had to grow up uh, fairly fast, but I had a lot of mentors, I had a lot of people uh, that were very charitable to my family and, and did a lot of things for us. I was, uh, my mother and brother have both had suicide attempts between them. So I was, as the younger member of the family, I was more the caregiver. Um, so I had some pretty good direction from some people that I liked as people and, and, and they were in kind of the philanthropic world, the charity world. And I knew I felt comfortable there. And I think when you lack, um, even a little bit of direction, you kind of tend to fall into what you feel is comfortable. And I felt really comfortable at this work and pursued it as a career. Uh, given the fact that companies are going to have to bring back a lot of talent, I'm sure you're saying this, like hiring people back quickly is going to be a reality as the vaccine becomes more available and we get back you know, towards whatever normal is going to look like. As that happens, what do you think leaders need to know about um, mental health today? I think leaders today are, are um, have a huge challenge in front of them. I think for the longest time, 
if you're Gen X or above, just talking generationally in terms of what's in the workforce, you got to a place of leadership where, uh, you know, hopefully it was meritocracy. Uh, you worked hard, you put in your time, uh, you got a promotion. And then you only had one form of leadership that you looked at. And uh, today the workforce is very different. So people coming back from remote working, people coming back from uh, being furloughed, organizations that had to lay people off now having to hire and bring a lot of people back in, they're going to be left with having to really care for their people because everyone's been through a lot in the last year. Uh, maybe maybe you're, some of your employees are um, taking care of somebody at home, maybe somebody in that household was laid off and they were the only breadwinner. Um, you know, a lot of stressful situations happened at home for the longest time. It was taboo to work from home. Uh, but now all the research is telling us that people were very productive because they were always working. If we're averaging uh, three hours more a day, that productivity is there. So what are we looking for when people come back into the workforce is really trying to understand what's important to our people now. Um, working from home today is not what working from home was a year ago because there might be another spouse or roommate working from home as well. You might be having a child who's e-learning. So the house is very chaotic. And so some people are, are really uh, looking forward to getting back into an office setting or at least maybe a hybrid model. But I think leaders really have to understand today that their workforce has been through a, a tremendous amount of uh, emotional stress, anxiety, isolation, depression, and although they might not have had a leader worry about their mental health because of how leadership used to be, the role of leadership has, has very much changed. And I like to say that leadership today is really more about taking care of the people doing the work than the work itself. And if leaders want to be effective, if leaders want uh, to keep their best people while also attracting and recruiting top talent, they're going to have to change their leadership style in order to do that. And, uh, you know, the pandemic has, has, has one of those things that's really brought a lot of these things to life. Yeah, you're right. The, you know, we thought we were so connected <laughs> and the <laughs> pandemic happened. And it was, it was wild for me to see how many companies, given all of the technology, even as they bought Zoom, and bought Slack and bought a lot of, again, software, uh, they, their workers were getting more and more disconnected, you know, and uh, it almost, you're talking about leadership, it's strain, again, real strain on managers, you know, leadership skills that were built for a environment where you're face-to-face -face versus one that's largely remote. Right. I, you know, we, we were all told uh, basically in a, in a relatively short period of time that we had to be uh, socially distant, but I don't think anyone really comprehended how long that, that period would be. I don't think anyone really understood what that meant. And somehow during that, during that time, uh, we not only became socially distant, uh, we became emotionally distant as well. And so that lot, that lack of emotional connectedness that you spoke about um, meant more to a lot of people than they thought. And they didn't realize it until they were gone. And, and, and now when you're, uh, you know, trying to check in on your teams and check in on your employees, and you're trying to do that through Zoom, unless you're, unless you've had some training and some education, it, it's hard to tell when somebody uh, is going through a rough time. You can't just look at their productivity level and, and think, okay, well, 
all of a sudden they're not being productive. It's their work environment or it's them or they don't, they don't, uh, they're not passionate about the job or the mission anymore. Uh, now we need to understand that a lot of factors could be at play that's doing that. And, the, and I think the leaders that take on that role, and I, and I call that role sometimes our culture caretakers within an organization. And that's just basically understanding that they need to check in on their people. And the more they can do that, and the more they can empathize what their people are going through, uh, the workforce today and, and a lot of people leaving college, they really want the organizations to care about them. And that's the best way to do it. Uh, and that'll mean a lot to them. And people are more loyal and work harder and more productive for an organization that knows cares about them. Are there any like specific actions you would maybe recommend to, to folks out there who are thinking about, uh, who are obviously, again, there's a lot of discussion around mental health and a concern for it in your workforce and the people around you. But I mean, I, I can't help but say that it feels like it's one of these topics that leaders and folks know is important, but then they move on. It's sort of like, you know, Black History Month happens in February and then it doesn't happen again. You know, we talk a lot about, we talked about this the other day with someone on diversity. It's, you know, uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Month is in January. That's big for January. And then, you know, it, then it, we, we move on. You have, um, you know, topics, these, these, you know, sexual harassment and diversity training happens online once a year for companies and then you know that's not enough i mean how do you how do any specific tactics you would have for companies to make to actually address the topic head on and try to help someone who might be feeling pain or in need in the moment i do i i have what i call what i feel is is a pretty easy uh four-step uh strategy to to get organizations to really realize they can do this at a low cost to almost no cost uh, and implement this in their organizations for their for their people to understand that they really do care about mental health and wellness and people have psychological safety in the workplace. I think fortunately for mental health or maybe unfortunately, however you want to look at it, we have awareness days all over the calendar. Um, and I think awareness days just make it easier because I'm a former uh, diversity uh, equity and inclusion program officer for T-Mobile. So I know when you have days available, it just makes it easier uh, to disseminate information to the workforce, to share information, to have lunch and learns or share videos. But Mental Health Awareness Month is coming up here in the month of May. Um, following following that month, I believe it, Minority Mental Health Awareness Month is in July. We have Suicide Awareness Month in September. And then we have World Mental Health Day in October. And those are just a few. So if you really want to get serious about uh, mental health awareness and letting your employees know that you care uh, about their well-being, uh, some pretty easy things to do is first and foremost, just make people feel safe. And that requires leadership to really step up and let uh, their employees know that we wanna make mental health and wellness a priority. We wanna create a safe space to talk about mental health. If we already know that one in five uh, Americans experience a mental health condition in a given year, that's 20% of our uh, of the people in, the, in, the, in our country are experiencing something, uh, we should know that that probably means there's a few people in our organization currently experiencing something or suffering from something right now. So let's create, let's, let's openly talk about it. Let's talk about how we're gonna create that space. Let's talk about how we're gonna both online and in person 
how we're going to uh, educate our people, make them aware. Uh, and that's first and foremost. Uh, the second thing I like to do uh, is tell people, share stories across, across all levels. Um, but leadership should really start with this. There isn't a group that I talk to, whether it's on Zoom or an audience, where I just, just to kind of get this conversation going, I ask them, you know, who in the room or who on the, who on the Zoom call has been impacted in some way, either yourself your family, or one of your closest five or six friends by suicide, mental illness, or addiction. And an overwhelming number of people raise their hand and, and say they've been impacted in some way, usually 90, 95% plus. Um, what that does is that allows the people that have asked you to come and speak to really see how this issue has impacted their folks. It allows the people in the audience to take that collective sigh of relief that they're in a safe place uh, because they're around other people that have had a shared experience. Um, so when a leader steps up and can say, um, I had mental illness in my family, I had somebody, uh, a good close friend of mine die by suicide, uh, I've been a caregiver for somebody who had an addiction issue, and they talk about that, that those personal stories allow somebody uh, who might be suffering in your organization right now to feel a little bit more safe to disclose if they're going through something because they know they're working for a leader that values mental health and, and, and their mental health and well-being. So sharing stories across all levels uh, is the number two thing that I always say is usually one of the most impactful. And a lot of people uh, really get a lot out of it because it brings it brings uh, coworkers together. Um, the third thing uh, I suggest is just educate your, your managers and your supervisors. Uh, being a manager, a people manager is tough. There's always personalities. We know most people leave jobs because of their manager or their supervisor. So how can we train managers today uh, to be able to understand and recognize when somebody's struggling uh, from grief and loss or somebody is having an issue with, with their mental health? Uh, no one's asking them to become their mental health counselor or mental health professional. We just want you to be able to identify it and feel confident enough that you can help steer that person to get help. Uh, because if they're working in your organization and, and you care about them, they're only going to be a better worker, a more loyal worker uh, for your organization if you can show how much you care. And then the final thing is make wellness a priority. Um, you know, wellness is kind of an overused term. But really, really encourage what we hear so much about, uh, kind of a, a work-life balance, promote exercise and healthy living and healthy eating, um, make it a competition, friendly competition always comes from wellness events uh, that can really bring employees together, uh, do 5Ks together or charity walks and uh, have raffles. A lot of uh, insurance companies that have uh, accounts for large organizations have money set aside that they can give you for wellness programs uh, and wellness incentives. And I know that's been something that's really helped my organization because uh, we're about 650 employees uh, really bring the group together uh, and we deal with crisis mental health. So we've seen a lot over the last year. And when we incorporated our employee recognition with our employee wellness program, that's what helped bring staff morale up. Uh, and that really helped uh, employee engagement as well. How did that work? What, what type of like some, what type of recognition, what type of rewards are most effective? Well, I with, with recognition, uh, you know, a lot of companies still have traditional employee of the month programs. But when, you know, like I said, we're 650 employees, 
picking out 12 employees of a, of a employee base that large, it, it, that the program really doesn't mean anything. It's almost like a lottery at that point. We've changed our, our, our culture of recognition, our organization to recognize and have directors nominate people who are just doing incredible work or have received uh, great recommendations from patients or patients' families. Uh, the culture has very much changed. I know early on people thought it was going to be uh, a lot of time and a lot of investment of time, and, and they kind of fought the process. But to see it a year later and, and to see how that program really impacted those that were struggling to come to work, because when you work in an acute care facility, obviously you're an essential worker. You can't work from home. So you come to work every day uh, with a little bit of fear that you might uh pick up COVID or you might take it back and infect somebody in your family. So there's a lot of uh, anxiety there. Um, it's hard to see and work with a tough population going through a lot in a short period of time. So you've probably seen three years of work uh, in about a period of 10 to 12 months. Um, but the recognition uh, sometimes was just very simple, but it was very meaningful. Uh, everybody who won recognition uh, received a handwritten note from our CEO. Uh, we had recognition challenge coins made, something very popular in the military that corporations are starting to do now that uh, I'm looking at one right now that just kind of says uh, Grace Point employee recognition and going above and beyond in their oversized coins that people can carry with them or have on their desk that really create a sense of belonging with the organization. We have a small gift card attached with it. I think it's around $10. And then we gave out a t-shirt too, because we're, we're a pretty professional organization that have to dress a certain way. So when we have uh, some, some neat shirts that we're able to uh, create that people like wearing when we have off kind of uh, casual days, it really creates uh, a neat environment around our campus uh, for people to show how much they care about the organization. And as, again, not a lot uh, of money was invested in this program, but it's great to see directors get excited when they're nominating people and that we're recognizing between 10 and 20 people a month now and not just 12 a year. Yeah, it's wild. It's like, the, you know, it's the easy stuff that's so hard, uh, but it's, you know, it really isn't hard if you make it important. The recognition you're talking about rewards it's always surprised me how the simplest rewards um it's not the hundred dollar amazon gift cards and the apple watches and the itunes gift cards that are necessarily going to be the best yeah i i think people i don't i don't i usually when you get things like that you get people really excited about it in the beginning uh and then it kind of fizzles out because there, there's no there's no sense of belonging to the organization when, when you do those kind of things um you know when we get people together we get their teams around them and they have and and and, and it's a surprise to them we make we make it as, as special as we can and we have directors from other divisions go and support uh those those kind of mini ceremonies little five minute get togethers to say the reason we're all here today is, is to support so and so and we'll read something about that person why they were nominated and the, and just a look of surprise uh uh just how 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 they feel being recognized in front of their peers and not just you know a name on a computer screen on yammer or slack or something like that but really in, in front of the people that they work with uh is something special to see you know the gifts themselves are just tokens of appreciation but it's the recognition in front of their peers uh is it's what the feedback that that, that I've received has been the most meaningful to these folks because we don't know what they're going through at home and a lot of them have, have again I've been going through some challenging things and to show up every day and to get recognized for their work. Uh, that means a lot, not only to the organization, but it means a lot to the employee. 
Sure. I have to ask you just because given your expertise and background on the nonprofit side, you know, so many young people today, it feels um, in my conversation, there's just so, so much great stuff happening around the nonprofit category. I think some people, I know three or four friends who were in, in a startup who have spun out and said they're going to start up their own nonprofit. It feels like there's this very healthy wave of, um, and maybe that's a positive out of, you know, the last, the chaos of the last year is people starting to reconnect with social mission and where they can make an impact um, better than maybe working inside of an enterprise. Any, any suggestions, any feedback, any advice for um, folks out there that are thinking about uh, starting a nonprofit or trying to grow theirs? Well, it, it's funny. I talked to a lot of, uh, especially a lot of young people and a lot of people that, you know, are in their thirties and forties decide to leave their job that they weren't happy with and pursue more of a passion project. Um, you know, for the longest time, I think, I mean, I'm 46 years old. You, you grew up seeing people work at companies 25, 35 years, and you don't see that anymore. Um, you see a lot of people realizing how much choice they have. And a lot of younger people that are starting social entrepreneur kind of mission-based organizations or, or starting nonprofits are realizing that they're having uh, the same kind of excitement and energy of a startup when they start a nonprofit. But there's there's definitely a, a passion uh, and a sincere and a sincere interest in the mission that they're working with, and they're enjoying their time a lot more than some of their peers that are joining, you know, Fortune 500 companies that are starting from the bottom. They're really uh, learning skills and especially leadership skills and communication skills that are going to be valuable to them that I think they can take with them, whether the, that organization is successful or whether they transition back to the for-profit world. But I think a lot of people forget that the nonprofit sector is the third largest employment sector in the country. Uh, we're behind manufacturing and retail, um, but there's a lot more people in the sector that are finding that they enjoy their work. And if they're going to work 10 hours or 12 hour days anyway, they might as well do it in something they're incredibly passionate about. Is chair, has charity been up over the last year or down? Are there any numbers on that? Uh, yeah, giving is still going up. And I think uh, giving, although uh, philanthropic giving is going up, I think the number of organizations, uh, it was fast tracking. It was like 1.5, 1.6 million uh, about a year and a half ago. I know through COVID, some smaller organizations had to close because of the inability to fundraise, especially through live events. So, but we're starting to see that, that, that kind of that uptick again of through what we've seen in the pandemic, different organizations are starting to be created to, to deal with a whole number uh, list of issues that were exposed because of the pandemic. And that that's a number of things from child care uh, to elder care, to mental health, to telehealth corporations starting. Uh, so there's a whole slew of um, work opportunities that were kind of, uh, you know, some white space there that were exposed that people are starting to fill those needs now. And so we're going to start seeing uh, those, those organizations that, that had to close their doors, pick up again. And we're already starting to see that. But charitable giving is still on the rise. I think people realized uh, there's only so much your government can do for you. There's only so much your, your corporation can do for you. Uh, philanthropy and nonprofits are filling a gap where there is still a needed service. And so I think people are seeing that and they're deciding to start their own organizations. Ian, last question for you. We ask everybody 
obviously future of work is a hot topic right now. What is your hope for the future of work? I think for me, I think for me, the, the, the future of work is, is an interesting thing because uh, the future of work is going to be led by leaders who care about their people. I, I know uh, the future of work is an organization or a company that you enjoy going to every single day. The future of work is, is, is something where you can find balance in both family uh, and work. Uh, but I'm excited because I think the future of work really is going to be more about caring about people than it is going to be caring about productivity and profit. And I'm hoping that's the case. Um, as I see organizations understand what the workforce today being 70, 65, 70% of it being millennial or Gen Z, what they're asking for. And if they don't meet the needs of, of the, of the largest section of the workforce, then there's going to, it's almost going to force them to change for that to happen. So I'm excited for that, for the future of work to care more about people because that's what the workforce is demanding. And I love the work you're doing. If anybody wants to connect with you, uh, how can they find you? The easiest way to do it, both, uh, I'd say Twitter and Instagram is just both accounts. I'm very active at Ian M. Adair, I-A-N-M-A-D-A-I-R. Um, I, people reach out to me all the time, uh, you know, DM me if you want to have a question about mental health, starting a mental health or wellness program, happy to help out and give some advice because uh, we're all in this together and we need to help each other out. I think people forget we're still, uh, of all the great apps out there and I have them and I uh, use them for meditation and for, and for staying calm, the best resource we have is each other and we need to use that function on our, on our smartphones that we forgot to use a year ago that we're starting to use a little bit more of now. And that's the phone function. So reach out and connect uh, with your peers because uh, we're all here to help. Ian, thanks for talking today. I really appreciate it, Sam. Thank you so much. One of my biggest takeaways from talking with Ian, other than just better educating myself about this topic today, was his comment that leadership has very much changed. And I like to say that leadership today is really more about taking care of the people doing the work than the work itself. I think oftentimes for workforce teams, talent teams, leaders, small, mid, large enterprise, wherever you may sit, we spend a lot of time trying to think about how we do our work better, especially at a time coming out of COVID where we're getting back to work. We can't forget the people that drive our business every day this is why I encourage everybody, if you haven't already, pick up Stronger Than Stigma by Ian Adair and spend a little bit more time, especially in the month of May, thinking about mental health and its impact on your workforce. Uh, this was another great episode of Bring It In. Uh, we're excited for what's coming this summer. Make sure you subscribe now on the little button in whatever app you use to listen to this podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. Now, back to work.